You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Insulin, invaluable medicine? Yes. Perfect murder weapon? Not likely so. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, your host, and with me today is Dr. Vincent Marks, professor of clinical biochemistry, medical doctor at the University of Surrey in Great Britain. Dr. Marks is a world authority on hypoglycemia and measurement of insulin, and we are discussing insulin as a potential murder weapon. Dr. Marks, uh, when did you get the idea to write the book? Well, I suppose I decided to record some of the cases I'd been involved with about seven or eight years ago. I started putting pen to paper, but uh, realized that my style of writing was not necessarily that which uh, the majority of people would like to read. So I recruited uh, uh, the services of a very dear friend of mine, Caroline Richmond, who is a medical journalist. And I wrote the cases up, and she turned it into readable English, (laughs) and I uh, got her scripts back and corrected the facts that had somehow or other got altered en route, and together we managed to produce something that I uh, trust is both accurate and uh, readable. Parts I've read are very readable and very interesting. Is the book uh, available here in the United States? Yes, of course, Amazon has it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They have everything. (laughs) Absolutely, yes. Well, why don't we talk about some of the cases? Again, the parts that I've read have been very fascinating. Uh, Perhaps the most well-known case, at least here in the United States, would be the Klaus von Bülow case. Yes, well, that's probably the first major case in which I became involved. I'd been involved in several minor cases before, but not one of this magnitude. I remember very well receiving a phone call from a gentleman introducing himself as Tom Puccio, and he told me he was the lawyer defending Klaus von Bülow, expecting me to know who Klaus von Bülow was, but of course I had no idea. Anyway, he asked me if I'd uh, read and look at the papers, and I said yes, not expecting seven kilograms of, uh, of, of paper eventually be t- to be delivered and to wade through. And uh, I found it fascinating because this was a, a huge amount of, uh, of literature about a, a woman who had undoubtedly had hypoglycemia on at least two occasions, very severe ones. Did the hypoglycemia here seem related to the insulin administration? Uh, it, it just, it, 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 there was something about it that didn't seem to strike me as having very much to do with insulin. I formed the opinion that uh, there were other factors involved. Eventually, I came down to the conclusion that she did have two separate episodes in which hypoglycemia was an event. One of them, I think, was almost certainly associated with septicemia or a very severe infection, which uh, at that time was very poorly recognized as being a cause of very severe hypoglycemia. And the second one must have been due to an alcohol-induced hypoglycemia, a subject which I had been interested in ever since I described the first British case in about 1962. Could you review some of the basic facts of the case for us? The basic facts are that uh, Mrs. Von Bulow was ill over Christmas of 1979, 
and she was discovered by her doctor to have anoxia. He was the original doctor who was a family doctor, was called to the house by the husband. Uh, Mrs. Von Bulow was obviously uh, almost asphyxiated. Uh, the doctor managed to get a circulation going again. She was uh, rushed to hospital where on the basis that she was very sick, they gave her antibiotics, they gave her cortisone, and they measured her blood glucose, which was low. And, uh, of course, she was then given glucose, and uh, it was thought that she was suffering from a hypoglycemic coma. Was her presentation and course consistent with hypoglycemic coma? In fact, she was possibly never actually comatose because she seemed as though she could respond to what people were saying and so on, which is not like an insulin, a deep insulin hypoglycemic coma. Uh, and she took several days to actually fully recover. She was... Uh, her, her, her mental function returned quite quickly, but she was still ill. And that, again, is very unlike insulin hypoglycemia. What happened subsequently? Um, she was investigated throughout the rest of the year, and they made a, a, a diagnosis of reactive hypoglycemia on the basis of a six-hour glucose tolerance test, which was an appalling, uh, a very useless test. Unfortunately, it's now gone right out of fashion. If this is not consistent with hypoglycemia, what then do you think was going on with her? Um, she was um, uh, not uh, uh, really diagnosed suffering from what she undoubtedly was, which was chronic alcohol abuse. Apparently, the way that this manifested itself, the only real evidence was that she had a macrocytosis, which had been noticed, but the fact that it could be alcohol-induced as opposed to B12 or folate-induced didn't really strike anybody. Uh, but eventually, by the following year, she had another severe hypoglycemic attack. And this time, she was rushed again to hospital, and insulin was taken from her, uh, the plasma sample for insulin assay. Again, she was very severely hypoglycemic. She was treated very appropriately, but never recovered. Her consciousness, although she is still, as I understand it, still alive, uh, at least her body is alive. Her brain, I think, is not, is not alive. Why was it felt that this hypoglycemic episode was indeed due to insulin administration? The insulin assay seemed to be crucial in the sense that it was reported as very high at a time when her blood glucose was very low. Due to the efforts of Arthur Rubenstein, a very, very distinguished diabetes specialist in, in, in America, he found that the insulin assay was worthless. I mean, the results were so divergent that uh, any attempt to make any sense of them was quite a nonsense. Here we had somebody who had severe hypoglycemia, might have been due to insulin, but it didn't seem to be right because one of the features of her hypoglycemia was that it was associated with nausea and not only nausea, but with vomiting. And vomiting due to hypoglycemia due to insulin is almost unheard of. And in fact, Dr. Foster, another very distinguished diabetologist from Texas, testified to this fact at the trial it was something that I had uh, observed too that for reasons which are not necessarily uh, very clear insulin induced hypoglycemia does not 
produce vomiting. Vomiting, uh, hypoglycemia from one of the many, many other causes of hypoglycemia is often associated with vomiting. It's not understood why that, uh, that, that distinction takes place? One of the things about hypoglycemia is that it causes a gastric emptying. And of course, uh, if you haven't got anything in your stomach, it's very difficult to vomit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I suppose that that's one of the reasons. In fact, Sackel noticed this during the days of uh, insulin coma therapy, that the only time that they ever saw vomiting was when they had already put glucose into the stomach through a stomach tube and before somebody actually came around. And even then it was very, very rare. But they didn't see vomiting in the uh, hypoglycemic state. So that was one of the things that made me feel a bit odd. So instead of exogenous insulin administration, you were suspicious of alcoholic hypoglycemia. Is that true? As I say, I was very suspicious And when I went through the notes and noticed that she had had these big red cells um, constantly, uh, you know, she had macrocytosis and uh, throughout the year. And after she went into coma and she was put on to glucose intravenously, and of course, intravenous uh, nutrition, um, her red cell size restored to normal. Of course, she also had no access to alcohol at this time. Now, when I mentioned alcohol in the trial, I was told that I must have got this from Klaus von Bühler, who I'd never met or never seen. And so uh, I got it from purely from reading the notes and drawing conclusions. And it seems as though all the other experts involved in the case, and in fact, alcohol was found in her blood when she was taken into hospital in the second coma, not in a very great amount, but a general by the name of Dubowski, a very distinguished clinical chemist in America, confirmed that this was genuine alcohol, that uh, alcohol, uh, and she had been in coma for many, many hours, probably 12 hours, well, 12 hours since she went to bed. So the, her blood alcohol at the time she went to bed must have been quite high. And uh, we know that alcohol can cause a very severe form of hypoglycemia, which um, is much more likely to lead to irreversible brain damage than insulin-induced hypoglycemia. And in fact, alcohol uh, and hypoglycemia go very badly together. They do produce a very nasty effect upon the brain. And I imagine clinically that they, uh, alcohol and other forms of hypoglycemia could look alike with the hyperadrenergic response. And Well, yes, you can get that, but uh, uh, alcohol-induced hypoglycemia really only occurs in malnourished people or people who are constantly dieting. I subsequently learned that she was a chronic dieter. She did not necessarily look after herself in a, what we would now call a helpful manner. And in fact, three weeks before she went into hospital in her final coma, she had attempted suicide by taking aspirin and had had a coma due to uh, aspirin poisoning, which was self-induced. This was rather skated over, as it were, the newspaper reports, which I saw about the case subsequently. But, uh, I mean, it is obviously a rather telling point. She drank rather more than I think anybody was prepared to admit. If the insulin assay was not up to snuff, I imagine... The insulin assay was, uh, was abominable, and, it was, uh, uh, and in fact, it was completely negated by Arthur Rubenstein's investigation, the actual raw data that eventually was sent back 
to the hospital as a very clear, definitive figure. I think it was 216 milliunits per litre, but that was an average of three uh, readings, which varied from uh, less than one to uh, 300 and something odd. And so I imagine C-peptide was not available at this time. C-peptide was available, and it was measured, and it was normal. Now, that in itself would be very, very strange. C-peptide to be normal, but I, I think nobody played very much and didn't take very much attention to the C-peptide because we don't know what sample it was actually measured in. And this was one of the other problems, that, uh, uh, that the insulin result was not necessarily on the same sample as the C-peptide sample and not necessarily the same one as showed a low glucose. This is uh, one of the problems of sending uh, specimens to other laboratories where you don't necessarily correlate everything at the same time. I want to thank Dr. Vincent Marks, who's been our guest as we've been discussing insulin as a possible murder weapon, specifically the Klaus von Bülow case. Very interesting stuff. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.